Hi, Rob. <laughs> this is this is uncomfortable. I have to admit <laughs> to have you interviewing me. Obviously, we've done I don't know two hundred and almost seventy episodes of this podcast, and gotta admit, I don't I don't love being interviewed on my own podcast for some reason. Yeah, well, I don't. It's almost like you don't trust me. Maybe that's what it is. That's probably what it is. I think, wow, 28 seconds in and we've nailed it. We know exactly what's the problem here. It's taken, I mean, we've had five years together in business and 270 episodes, but you still don't trust me. I don't know what else I have to do. Yes. I'm going to have to think about that. That's a question I don't think I can answer right now. (laughs) All right. So today is going to be fun. Fun Fun for me, not fun for Rob. Uh, we decided to, you know, just, um, well, we didn't decide. I think I decided that yeah, I was going to interview this, you. This was not a mutual, this was not a mutual decision. Yes. Just like our underwater pool photo shoot a couple of years ago. Um, so today we are going to get to know Rob better and I'm asking questions, um, based off what I would like to know about you, Rob. And so you can share some of your wisdom with us and also just some, you know, some personal, tidbits here and there, just so we can get to know the real Rob Marsh a little bit better. Um, and and I think, you know, if anybody's listening and they're like, wait a second, I think I'd rather get to know the real Kira Hug better. 10 episodes where you know, we'll be back and we're going to do this all the other way around. I will be sick, sick that day. I will be out sick. Yeah. So, <laughs> who trusts who is the question now. <laughs> let's kick it off with, okay, let's just start with some easy questions. You know, we've been building TCC together over the last five years. So I'm just curious, you know, what are some of the big lessons you've learned from building this specific business? Yeah. When you told me you were going to ask me this, I, I'm, I'm still kind of trying to figure out what are the biggest lessons. Uh, I think, I mean, there's so many, but I think number one is when you build a business like this and, and our, you know, the copywriter club is different from, you know, you building a copywriting business or me building my copywriting business. Obviously we're doing a lot of things together and we're doing a lot of things that we probably couldn't do on our own. And so number one lesson I think is just having a partner allows you to do more, uh, you know, because you can focus on different areas of the business. Uh, you can play to your strengths and, Hopefully, you, know, you and I have partners that make up for some of our weaknesses. So it's not all strengths and, you know, nobody's covering the weaknesses. But I think number one is that I could not have done this without you as my partner. I'm not sure if you could have done it without me. I, I, I won't presume to know the answer to that, but having a partner allows us to get more done. And so that's maybe number one lesson. Number two lesson is that and this should have been obvious because this is always a business lesson, but things go slower than you want them to for all kinds of different reasons. Things always take longer than maybe we plan for or that we hope for. And so, uh, yeah, just knowing that things sometimes have gone slower than what either one of us have wanted is, is a big takeaway. And maybe number three, you know, we started out doing it all ourselves and you know we we did the podcast on our own we built the first crappy website on our own we were reaching out to people you know trying to make connections we 
we kind of cobbled together the first version of the accelerator. And I think we getting to the business to the point where we grew past that, where we couldn't DIY everything. We had to have a team and we had to get help, whether it was from, you know, VAs, whether it's from, you know, other people to help with marketing or even from mentors, I think um, has been a, a big takeaway. I, I have never reached out to mentors in my freelance business before, you know, before you and I had, you know, right before we met. And so um, we've been a lot better as we built this business together and doing that. So maybe those are three pretty big takeaways from this experience. I'm sure that there are more if I had even more time to think about it. Yeah. I sent Rob the questions like 20 minutes before this interview. Uh, I should have given you some more prep time, but I appreciate you rolling with it. So can you give an example of what moved slower than you were expecting? I'd love to hear some examples. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think in, in some ways everything moves slower because once you have an idea, you're like me in this way. We, this is one place where I'm not sure that we make up for each other's weaknesses, but we're both pretty focused on ideas and wouldn't it be nice if we had this? And so oftentimes we'll come up with an idea. It's like, hey, maybe we should have a beginning copy course, or maybe we should have a program that does this particular thing. And we'll both agree, yeah, that's a great idea. But then the execution portion of it takes a lot more time or uh, effort, or it's because it doesn't fit one of our top priorities for what we want to accomplish and do in the business, you know, it falls to the wayside. So there's those kinds of things that, uh, you know, we've got a lot of good ideas and it'd be great if they could just all happen now, but for all kinds of reasons, they don't happen now. And the best of them happen over time as you, me, our team, as we build them. But a lot of times, you, I mean, there's still a huge list of ideas that we've had that uh, we still haven't had time to even begin to tackle. So, you know, 10 years from now, maybe the Copywriter Club is going to be this amazing collection of resources and trainings and all that stuff well beyond what we already have. And that's going to be an awesome day, but it's, you know, it may take us 10 years to get everything out of the, the idealist that we've got. I think I might be in my 80s by the time we <laughs> finish the list. But that's a really good point. I think you and I complement each other really well in our strengths and weaknesses. But you're right. One area where we don't is we both are ideas people, as probably many of the listeners are as well. And so you and I just like send voice memos with tons of ideas. And then <laughs> they just kind of they kind of drop. And now we have a team. So that's been really helpful. But See, Rob, we have more in common than we realize. This is great. This is so good. There you go. And <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, though, that's one of the things that makes some of our programs so good is because you and I are both really good at ideas, at identifying opportunities, those kinds of things that when people come to us and ask us for help, that's one place where we both shine, I think. And because you and I also come, uh, come at life from two different places, we actually provide a pretty broad variety of ideas. You know, it's like you could think about it in this way and, and your approach is going to be maybe a little bit different from my experience and my approach. And so being able to produce a lot of ideas for the copywriters that we work for, I think makes uh, that time that we're, we are, we're able to spend with them more effective. I think you just identified part of our X factor that you and I have struggled to figure out, um, even though we help other people figure out their X factor the idea generation. So yeah, that's great. And I'm going to jump around to some like lighter questions too, just to 
keep it kind of fun. Um, so Rob, I'd like to know what your favorite carnival food is. Carnival food. Wow. It's been a long time since I've been at a carnival. Um, it would probably be a churro or maybe a deep fried. I, I don't know that I've ever had this at a carnival, but like, how about a deep fried Mars bar? Um, it's definitely carnival esque, uh, and they're quite they're quite good. And I'm I'm not talking about the American Mars bar. I'm talking about the the UK Mars bar. So it's basically a deep fried Milky Way, but mm, oh, so good. Is that a, is that so a thing? Good. I'm sure it's a thing. Somewhere. Oh yeah, okay. it's definitely a thing. I there there's a there's a fish and chip shop in Scotland that claims to be the originator or the the place where it was invented, and it's uh, they're, they're quite good. Okay, that's what we need at the next TCC IRL. That's the dessert that we need. Um, so, Rob, let's talk about where you struggle the most. Let's talk. Let's talk about your weaknesses. Um, what do you struggle with the most in your business um, and in copywriting? So, let's talk about both. So, I think I've been pretty open about this with you know anybody who has asked or we've talked about it, but I. You always say that you, it doesn't seem like I struggle with this, but I do. I struggle with maximizing my time and getting more done. And I feel like when I sit down to work that I don't always get as much done as I had hoped. And I don't know if that's you know because I have a tendency to be distracted or you know anything like that. But I would say that's my biggest struggle is just maximizing the output for the time that I have. Uh, hopefully it's not because I just overestimate my abilities. I don't know, but that, I think that's probably my biggest, my biggest struggle with work. You get so much done. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't feel like that to me. I just feel like I should be getting so much more done. I don't know. Again, maybe it's unrealistic expectations. Maybe we both need cameras. I mean, we have cameras in our computers, but we need cameras. <laughs> Do you want to our... watch, watch my progress as I'm sitting in my <laughs> office? And then we can watch each other. So then we know when we're just like slacking off or I don't know, not as focused as we could be. We don't need stalkers. We, we stalk each other through webcams. Yeah. And then what, what do you struggle with the most when it comes to writing copy? Yes. So that, this is a little harder for me to um, answer because I feel like I can pretty much write anything. I mean, I have, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. Um, and so I don't necessarily struggle with any kind of project types. The, the, the places where I get stuck is when I've taken on a client that I'm not excited about. You know, maybe the money was really good. And so I'm like, oh yeah, for sure. I will help you write your web copy or whatever. And then I get into the project and I'm just not excited about it because it's not something that I love. So that's maybe where I would struggle, but I wouldn't say, oh, I, you know, I can't write a homepage or I really hate writing emails. I, I write, I love writing almost anything. It's just whether or not I'm engaged with a particular client in the project. Well, let's talk about that then. What is, um, what's your least favorite client? Can you call them out and just share? And then your favorite client. So the least favorite client that I've ever worked on, probably um, it, it was a product. They actually ended up going out of business, um, and left some of my invoices unpaid, which is maybe one reason why they're the least favorite. But um, it was like a an electrical transformer power um, shifting system that went into warehouses and would help them manage their, uh, electricity usage. And I mean, again, I, I wrote it, I think the copy was decent for what it was, but it's the kind of product that just did not excite me. 
And I took the project on as a favor to a friend, you know, it was referral. It, the money wasn't horrible, but, um, you know, I, I was doing it for, I think all of the wrong reasons. And yes, I, I didn't love that favorite, favorite clients. Um, you know, I, any clients that I'm writing sales pages for, I really like those. That's kind of my sweet spot. And I guess the favorite thing that I like writing is the monthly newsletter that we send out to our members of our underground. Um, just, you know, it's more content than sales, but it's teaching different principles, concepts, strategies, tactics, that kind of stuff. And I think it's pretty fun to write most of the time. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that was your favorite. I, I like, I like writing them. They're, they're pretty fun. So, but sales, I mean, like for clients, sales pages, hands down. Okay. And favorite, is there a specific sales page that you wrote that you're like, this is the best thing I've ever written? Maybe not the best thing, but I'm really proud of that sales page. Um, there are a couple, you know, I, I wrote one for, um, it was, it's actually a rewrite that I did with the conversion Excel agency a couple of years ago for a, a golf club that was really cool. The XE one and did a rewrite on there. That was pretty effective. There's, um, a, I, I won't name her, but there's a thought leader in, um, you know, the course and gamification space that I did a sales page for that uh, I really like. I, I like a lot of the work that I did there. Um, anything that I've written, like in the health and wellness space, I tend to really like those kinds of stories, sales pages as well. So yeah, those are, those are among favorites. Let's talk about your family. Um, I'd love to hear about your kids because I get to hear like little stories here and there about your kids who are now, you know, some adults. Yeah, some of them aren't kids. Most <laughs> of them aren't kids. They're not really little kids anymore, but uh, I'd love to hear just like maybe one thing, you know, not what you love the most about each of them, but just something that gives us a glimpse into each of their lives or personalities. Yeah, this is a really hard one to answer because everybody thinks their kids are the smartest, you know, or, or really smart or above average. And then everybody will also follow that up with, I know everybody thinks that, but mine really are. And uh, of course, that, I mean, half of our kids have to be below average, right? But, <laughs> well, way I to mean, bring it, way to bring this down. A that's little just, bit. that's just the way the numbers work. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so I've got two boys and two girls. Uh, my two boys are both in their early twenties. My girls are still teenagers, but um, you know, I've only got one left in high school. So uh, they're, they're great kids. I, I, I think collectively, I love having kids that are the older teenager, young adult, because it's just so much fun to hang out with them. You know, when we sit around and play games, everybody's laughing, everybody's having a great time and it, nobody's worried about throwing the game so that, you know, the five-year-old doesn't have, uh, you know, a fit because the chute came up instead of the ladder or what, you know, like <laughs> all of the things that you deal with little kids. Now I'm not saying there's any, I mean, I loved my kids when they were little too, but it's just so much more fun being around adults who think like adults, but still enjoy spending time together, love each other. Um, my oldest son, uh, just really smart, um, philosophical in his approach. I just like talking about all kinds of different things with him. My Second son is very charismatic, kind of the life of the party, very fun to be around. My oldest daughter, she's the most driven human being I know. You know, when she decides on something, she just, she's all out and achieves it. She's just an amazingly hardworking, you know, dedicated young woman. And my youngest daughter, who's still in high school, she's an athlete, um, really pushes herself to excel in 
uh, water polo and, and the things that she's doing there. Um, they're just, I, I don't know. Is that, is that enough detail about each one? Cause I just, I could talk about each of my kids and there's, they're not all good. I mean, there's some bad things I suppose I could say, but, <laughs> but, uh, they're just, they're amazing to be around. They're just, they're awesome human beings. Uh, let's, let's talk about the bad things and publish, publish. Yeah. I'm going to skip that. Um, but yeah. You're right. I, yeah. Maybe, maybe your oldest daughter could be my life coach. It seems like she's got it going on. So like, I'll have to ask her about that. Yeah. Like I said, when she decides on something, she's really driven right now. She's trying to figure out how she can uh, spend her gap year. She just you know graduated from high school, but she wants to get herself to Africa to work in an orphanage or, you know, do some kind of a, long-term service there. And because of COVID, a lot of that stuff's been shut down. So she's been trying to figure out how she can get herself over there. And I just, I'm amazed that that's something she wants to do. That that didn't come from her parents. That just came from her. And um, do any of your kids want to dive into copywriting or the business world or any of them kind of interested in not following your footsteps, but just um, moving into that space? So I don't know about copywriting. I've, I've actually told my daughter um, that she's a great, she is a great writer, that she should be, you know, doing something like copy. We'll see if that ever, nobody ever wants to do what their parents say they should do, right? My, one of my sons is very interested in business. He's taking business courses in college and, you know, he's always asking me for recommendations on books, that kind of thing. My oldest son is studying economics, so he'll, I'm assuming, do something business related as well. We'll see how that all pans out. But uh, you know, an economics degree could lead in all kinds of different directions. So I think that's still up in the air. And do you have any advice uh, for parents, you know, at my stage where I have, you know, an eight-year-old, it's my oldest, I uh, haven't hit the teens yet, but it's coming up, coming up fast. Do you have any advice about, um, you know, raising teenagers and how to handle that stage from from what's worked for you, maybe also what hasn't worked as well for you in that teen stage? Um, I don't know that I, any advice that I have, people probably shouldn't follow it. Cause I'm not sure that I, I was always the best dad of my teens. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that I was a horrible dad, but, um, I, I think, you know, just stay as involved as possible with what your kids are doing. Um, uh, my wife would probably be the better person to answer that question. She's the better parent by far. Well, that's what we're going to do for the next episode. We're going to get your wife, Michelle, on the podcast, and then we're going to interview your kids. And yeah, this is a whole series. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll interview each other's spouses. That would be <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, that would, oh, that would be. Uh, okay, so let's uh, direct the spotlight back at, back at you. Um, what do you do when nobody's watching? That's a question we ask a lot of the copywriters in our think tank. Um, but what are some of those hobbies, maybe pastimes, maybe even like just puttering around the house? What do you find yourself doing? So no, my number one go-to is always going to be reading. I, I love, I love, love, love reading. Always have. Uh, and I could read just about anything. Uh, so that's that's number one. But uh, I like cooking. You know, I, I cook dinner for my family once or twice a week. Uh, my wife works out of the home, so, you know, she doesn't always have time to do that. So um, we uh, we enjoy, uh, you know, this is an at-home thing, but I love road trips. Like I could 
get in the car and just drive. In fact, I have, I've got in the car with my daughter to, to drive, you know, 300 miles to get a uh, chicken dinner and then drive straight back home at a favorite restaurant. So, um, yeah, that's, that, those are some of the things I like. We, we, uh, we're not huge TV watchers around our house, but if we get a series that everybody loves, you know, a Ted Lasso comes along or whatever, we'll, we'll jump in with both feet and watch them. But I don't spend a lot of time sitting in front of the TV looking for stuff to watch. That's not really my go-to. And where do you read? Where are you sitting? Do you have like a reading nook in your house? Uh, I have my office, which has kind of a comfy reading chair, but I'll read anywhere. I, you know, sometimes in, well, if I lay down in bed, I'll read for a couple of minutes and fall asleep. But, but you know, li- read in the living room. We don't have a TV in our living room. Uh, yeah, all, all, all over. So, um, I'm curious to know what lessons you learn. It could be business or life lessons from, from your parents, from your mom and your dad. I know that you're close to both of them. Um, are there any lessons that really stood out and you think about today? So when you sent that question too, I was like, huh, this is interesting because I haven't thought so much about it. Um, my dad is a very wise, quiet individual. And uh, so I'm, I'm not sure that, and he was an attorney, so you know I didn't uh, see a whole lot of his business uh, when he was still practicing. Today, he's, he doesn't practice law anymore, or at least not very actively. He is in, involved in some uh, projects, uh, land development, housing, that kind of thing, uh, which is kind of interesting to watch. Um, but he's just very deliberative in his approach to everything. He's a listener, and when he comments, usually it's insightful and wise, and so you know, I suppose one takeaway from that is to listen more and to um, save your opportunities to speak until you've got something worth sharing. Maybe that's a, a lesson I should listen to more. Um, my mom, by the time this uh, podcast goes live, she will ha- she died a year ago, and um, she was just an amazing. Um, person, she was always interested in other people. She kind of shares that with you, Kara. You're, you're very interested in other people and always had something to say, always uh, had something to ask and was always more interested in, in other people and their success. And I think the, the thing that I take away from her is just her un, uh, unwavering belief in me as a person that you know I would do well in whatever uh, I set out to do, and she, you know, she was just kind of a cheerleader. You know, told me she never had to worry about me, or she always believed that I would, you know, accomplish what I wanted to. And so, having somebody like that in your back pocket, I think, is an amazing uh, gift that she gave me, and uh, a lot of my siblings, and also many of our friends who, you know, thought of her as a second mom. Yeah, I love that. And what what motivates you today? You know, I feel like when I think of you, I think of you just seem like a very a motivated person who, um, I don't know, just like you're you're driven and focused and um, seem to be really clear about where you're going in business and in life. And I'm just wondering, you know, what where that comes from, where that drive comes from in you. Yeah, I wish I knew where it comes from. I mean, I know what I want. I, you know, I'd there are things that, uh, you know, my wife and I have talked about. It's like, Hey, we'd like to go live in the UK for a while again, you know, obviously lots of things that I want for my kids. So, you know, there, there's motivations that come from that, you know, from 
you know, things like, Hey, let's finally get the house paid for, or let's be able to afford these kinds of things. So there's, I guess, some monetary motivation, but I think a lot of it too, is just driven by, you know, who I was raised to be, what I believe, you know, personally, uh, you know, and how to treat people or the precepts I live by, or, you know, even faith and, and those kinds of things. Um, I think it all just comes together in whatever that recipe is that created me and who I am. And we talk a lot about self-care on the podcast. And that, I mean, that comes up in nearly every interview. What helps you stay grounded, especially, you know, on the business roller coaster of ups and downs? Um, what helps ground you and what do you do to kind of just stay, stay motivated, stay sane, not get burnt out? frequently at least what helps yeah i mean a lot of people will say oh take time off or get a massage like those kinds of things for for self-care and that i mean those things are definitely nice but those aren't really things that i turn to i think the most important thing for me is that i'm doing something that i actually enjoy doing uh you know back when i worked for corporate america and you know, Sunday night would come and I'd start feeling that feeling of dread, like, oh, I got to go to work tomorrow. I can't, you know, psych myself up for it. Weekend's over. Like, I never feel that. I just like what you and I do together. I love the people that we coach in the think tank and the work that we're able to do in the underground and the people that we talk to and work with every day. I just, I'm more motivated by that than anything. And I think when you're lucky enough to have that in your work, the burnout is, um, it doesn't come nearly as much. Obviously, yeah, we could put way too much into it and and we need to take time away for all kinds of things. But I think the number one thing is just having work that I like doing. And health-wise too, you're, you are taking care of yourself and you do build that into your day. Can you share a little bit about what that looks like at least today? Yeah. I mean, I always have, I love to be on my bike. So, you know, that's, that's always a go-to this past year. I've spent a lot more time running, walking, or something in between the two, uh, with my time. I know at one point you and I last spring tried this thing called 75 hard. We didn't stick to that very long. I think we started it two weeks before our big event and we're just like, Oh, that was the, the timing on this was kind of, kind of lame. like, how do you put on a four day event and, and do all of the things involved in 75 hard, but I was also pregnant at the time. Yeah. And so you were pregnant. My defense, that we wasn't like going to happen. Seven months pregnant. So yeah. And so yeah, it, it didn't stick, but I, for the last four weeks, by the time this drops five weeks, I've been doing uh, 75 hard again, just personally. So, you know, runs every morning, uh, you know, lifting weights or, you know, time on my rowing machine every afternoon, um, and the stuff that's involved there. And like, you know, after th it's intense, as far as the amount of minutes I'm spending exercising, definitely an aberration for my normal, you know, especially, uh, coming into the winter, um, winters, I don't usually exercise quite that intensely, but, um, I, I feel amazingly good. You know, I'm a little tired, but, um, I can tell, you know, heart rates down, um, feel good when I sit down and, and, you know, relax, whatever. So building time for that kind of stuff into my day has always been important. And especially, you know, when I'm out on my bike or if I'm training for a race or doing those kinds of things. So I've always tried to make time for some form of, uh, exercise, not always successful. There are definitely, you know, periods of time when, you know, 
I get a little sluggish or whatever, but right now things are going pretty good. And, and that's probably the best gift I can give myself as far as lowering stress and, you know, feeling good, uh, basically, you know, feeding my body or feeding, um, having the energy to actually run a business successfully. Well, can you share a little bit more about that too? And just what maybe other copywriters could think about as they're figuring out what works for them health wise, you know, routine wise, uh, so that they have, they feel energized to build their business. It's not something that we learn in school, uh, but it is important. And when you're building a business, especially, are there any um, guidelines or anything that you would give us to think about as we're figuring out what works for us? I, I think what works for me is probably different from what works for almost anybody else. But I, I think when it comes down to it is we invest a lot of time and effort and resources into our businesses to make them work. Um, but the number one thing that runs our business is us. And we're not always as deliberate in investing in our bodies, in our health as we are with our business. And the two really go hand in hand. If you're sick, if you're not feeling well, if you're you know waking up tired or depressed or you know struggling with other things that are going on that you might be able to address with you know better diet, more exercise, you know, time in, in the outdoors or whatever, like that stuff makes you more successful and more able to run a, a healthy business. So, you know, maybe more of us as business leaders should be talking about the health side. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, you got to give up bacon or sugar or whatever. Um, but, you know, thinking through what might work for you, what, what works for me, I think helps us approach our businesses in a, a place that makes success more likely. Do you feel the impact of that since you've been doing 75 hard and you've been, you know, really pushing it a little bit more, focus even more on your health and exercise? Has it played a, a role in our business or can you feel a difference in your day-to-day -day work? Uh, I don't know that I necessarily could measure it in outcomes. Like, you know, is my writing better today than it was say six or seven weeks ago when I wasn't doing 75 yes. hard? I don't, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know, but I do feel like when I come, when I sit down at my desk, I feel energized. I feel, you know, ready to, to work. And that's after having, you know, done a three mile run or, or whatever. So, um, it's certainly not hurting. Okay. All right. And I'm wondering, you know, after coaching so many copywriters and mentoring so many copywriters and interviewing so many copywriters um, and um, jumping into so many of those conversations. Is there a question that you wish more copywriters would ask you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Um, I don't know what people should ask me more. Of. Or maybe, you know, maybe they're going to someone else with this question and, and you're like, I actually like, I've had a good response for that. Well, I mean, I don't know that I can answer this question specifically, but you and I have talked occasionally, you know, it's like, we'll be talking to people and they'll say, oh, does anybody know a good business coach? <laughs> like, well, actually, uh, you and I do business coaching. In fact, the kind of coaching that we're doing is for copywriters who build businesses, right? So if you're, if you're looking for somebody who's got experience building the kind of business that you want, and, you know, occasionally I'm surprised that people don't see that or recognize that when we're talking or when we're sharing, and maybe we just don't make that obvious enough, but that's, that's maybe one thing that kind of stands out. It's like, huh, when people ask us for who would be a good business coach, uh, I, I'm always a little bit baffled and thinking, well, actually that's that we are. 
Right. Well, that probably is because we don't really speak to it. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. We Wait, have a know, branding we, problem here. We, we've never, yeah, even really said, hey, we're business coaches. We've talked more about the mentoring. Um, so maybe that's just on us and we need to work on our messaging. Connected to the message, we, you and I help a lot of copywriters figure out their X factor. And that's a huge part of the accelerator program. And then the think tank mastermind too, where we continue to hone in on the X factor. When you think about your own X factor, you know, separate from TCC, uh, what shows up for you when you're thinking about your unique X factor and how, how that could help clients, um, copywriter clients, maybe other, you know, copywriting clients and your own business. Yeah. Well, I mean, for TCC, I, you and I kind of touched on part of it already. I think I'm really good at looking at a copywriter's business. I, I think I do this for clients as well, but, and I can see the opportunities. I can see ideas. I can see pieces that they're not connecting and make those connections. And I, I do think that I'm very good at that. Um, and I suppose I do the same thing for my clients. You know, I can ask, you know, 20, 30 questions about their business and start to understand where things might be breaking down, you know, where there might be trouble in a particular marketing campaign or a funnel or why uh, a particular page may not be converting. So uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at seeing that stuff. I'm pretty good at uh, identifying um, why an offer might not be performing really well or what they could do in order to make an offer better, you know, things to add or things that they might do to simplify the messaging around it, those kinds of things. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I should probably sit down and go through the exercise again, cause it's been a while since I put myself through our own X factor exercise, but I'm, you know, again, really good at ideas. I'm good at identifying opportunities inside people's businesses and good at figuring out what is the thing that a client actually will, or a client's customers actually want to buy. While we're chatting about copywriters, from interviews, from conversations, what do you feel like the key is today? If, you know, for copywriters who want to build a successful business as a copywriter in 2021, um, what is a critical ingredient that you, you know is important today as they think and build. Yeah. So the obvious answer here is, well, you've got to be a great copywriter, but I think that's actually not the case. I, I you know, you can be the, the best copywriter in the world. And if nobody knows about you, it doesn't matter. So the missing ingredient that so many copywriters don't have is that, um, that authority or the celebrity or, you know, almost fame. Uh, getting known by the people that they want to work for. You know, too many of us are introverts. And so we stay in our offices quiet or occasionally we'll post, you know, something to our blogs and hope that the world finds it. And if we have a list, you know, maybe we, we email our list occasionally with an idea or two. And I think way too many copywriters sit back and wait for projects to come to them, wait for clients to discover them. And that's just not how it works. You, you've got to get out there be in front of the, the world or the ideal client, talking about your process, talking about the projects, the successes that you've had, the ideas that you have, that's how people discover you. And so if you want to be successful in the, you know, in the definition of I'm, I'm working with great clients, I'm making good money, I think having some level of celebrity or authority around your business is the key missing piece for most of us. 
And have you seen that change over, you know, well, since you got into the freelance world with copywriting, have you seen any big changes in the way that copywriters show up um, and act in their own businesses? I do think that the internet has changed that from, you know, when I started out as a copywriter, there was no internet. Email was a brand new thing. And the freelancers that I knew at that time, everything was built on personal relationships. You know, they would show up at the agency with their portfolio. They would get to know the creative director or the project manager, whoever it was that could give them work. And everything was one-on-one personal relationships. You know, you, you, if, if a copywriter in Salt Lake city where I lived happened to be working with an agency in Los Angeles or in New York, it's because that they had a prior relationship with somebody at that agency and that they could leverage that into work. The internet has made so many opportunities less personal, which is an opportunity, but it's also, you know, uh, there, there's, there's negative that comes with that, right? Because it's less personal, someone in Salt Lake City can reach out and pitch a client in New York or Charlotte or Texas or wherever and make that connection online and get work. So, you know, that's, that was something that was a lot harder to do before the internet was around. That doesn't mean that those personal connections aren't still valuable because once you make that connection, now you've got to turn it personal or you've got to create that relationship uh, by doing good work, delivering on time, you know, all of the other things that go around uh, building a personal relationship. You still have to do that. But yeah, I think, I think it's definitely changed um, in the level of, you know, personal relationship that's required in order to start those kinds of relationships. We ask our think tank members when they join the think tank, we ask them to sit down and we work through their goals with them. Um, and we cover, you know, a wide variety of buckets. There's like financial goals, lifestyle goals, all, all the goals. And so I know we like to challenge them to think really big about their goals. And um, oftentimes we have to kind of push back and say, hey, are you, you know, are you thinking about this in a big enough way? So I'm just wondering when you think about the Copywriter Club, are there any kind of big, crazy goals that you've set, um, whether or not we've discussed it and they're still, you're still out there. We haven't really been able to hit those big, crazy goals. So there's this story about, I think it was Jim Carrey. I, I might be getting this wrong, but Jim Carrey, when he went to Los Angeles, he was just starting out. I think he took out a check and he wrote a check to himself for $20 million and then you know, post-dated it 10 years into the future or something like that. I, I may be getting the details wrong. Um, and then you know, 10 years later, whenever that time period was over, he still had the check in his wallet and he was actually in the place where he could write himself a personal check for $20 million. He you know, he had basically achieved that goal. And a couple of years ago, maybe I think it was a couple of years ago, I actually decided I want to be able to write myself a check for a million dollars. And I post dated that check into the future. I'm not going to tell you the date because uh, I don't Tomorrow. want to pressure on us to <laughs> get that done. But but yeah, I, there are things that I think that we can achieve. I think that there, you know, as I look at what the Copywriter Club could do for literally hundreds of thousands of copywriters who are out there, I think those kinds of goals are out there for us. And so I have a check that's taped to my monitor that I've written. Uh, it's not $20 million. Uh, maybe, I sh- maybe it should be $20 million, but for a million dollars. And 
when I see that, it sort of spurs the questions. Okay, if I'm going to write this check, you know, next year, year after that, year after that, what do I have to do differently? How do I have to think differently in the business? What products do we need to introduce? You know, what kind of a team do we need? Uh, you know, it just spurs those kinds of questions. So yes, long way of saying yes, I do have some big goals like that, that even you and I haven't talked about. And uh, it's something that maybe that's partly what's driving me to. That's really cool. I didn't know about that. And I, I love that idea. I think that's something that we could, we could all do if it, you know, if it's motivating to you, you could do that too. Yeah. Right. I mean, everybody should sit down and write themselves a, a post dated or forward dated. I don't, maybe it's predated. I don't know what the, what the proper uh, prefix there is, but sometime in the future where you can write yourself a check for something that feels, you know, like a stretch or maybe even outrageous or impossible and then shoot for it. Because when we have an impossible goal like that, it, we do have to think in a different way. You know, if if I can't write a check for myself for a million dollars today, what do I have to do differently in order to do that tomorrow? Well, let's talk about that more and your money mindset. How how has your money mindset changed over the last few years? And what has helped you change and shift your mindset to the point where you would, you know, put a check on the the wall and feel really motivated, inspired by it? I, I've thought about my money mindset and maybe this is because I haven't done enough therapy or I haven't, you know, talked to a, a mindset coach about this, but, you know, I, I do remember my parents fighting about money when I was a kid or feeling, you know, hearing my mom say there wasn't enough money to cover, you know, this expense or that expense. And, you know, my parents are older, you know, it was more traditional. My dad was making the money, so he would put money into the account or whatever. And, um, you know, my dad, wasn't part of a big firm. And so I know sometimes, you know, he, I've heard him say sometimes, uh, I didn't always know, I, I always knew where the money was coming for this week, but I didn't always know that there was money the next week, but things always just worked out. And that doesn't mean that, you know, there weren't lean weeks. So looking back at me when I was younger, clearly those kinds of things were getting into my head, you know, that, okay, um, nothing's desperate. But the whole idea that, you know, money wasn't always plentiful, um, certainly you know, bangs around in the back of my head occasionally. I think since being a copywriter and especially since owning you know, my own business, starting my own freelancing business, starting the Copywriter Club with you, I, you know, I understand that, you know, if, if we want to, you know, bring in a certain amount of money, let's say we want to bring in $100,000, you know, next month or whatever, we could create some kind of a product that's aimed at the needs of the people who listen to our podcast or, you know, who are members of our groups or, you know, whatever, and launch that and have a reasonable assumption that we could reach some of those goals. You know, that, that that's a possibility. And I don't see the world as, uh, you know, as stingy, that, you know, there's a scarcity, anything like that. And maybe that also drives our willingness to share our platforms, our podcasts with other copywriters, let them promote their products, those kinds of things. I'm not worried that that takes away opportunity from you and me. Um, and, and so I think my mindset probably has changed, but I, I don't know that I set about deliberately changing that rather than just the experience of starting these businesses has helped me understand that scarcity is often driven by, you know, how we're thinking about opportunity as opposed to the actual availability of opportunity. Because you mentioned you as a kid, what were you like as a kid? If you, I mean, if, if you could kind of give us a snapshot of 
you as a kid were you an obnoxious I'm not, I'm brat? Not gonna, I'm not. I, was, I was probably an obnoxious <laughs> brat. For I, no. I, yeah, no. I think I think I you know I was a little bit of a smart aleck. Um, you know, I I mean I was probably kind of a funny kid, but yeah. Um, I don't know how to describe myself as a kid. I mean, I was kind of nerdy. Uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't ever a jock or anything like that. Um, but always had you know plenty of friends uh, just to hang out with. Um, yeah, I but I think I was. I think a lot of people would say I was a pretty obnoxious kid. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not overstating it at all. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, we need more more of your family members on the show to confirm that. Um, and were you? How did you develop your love of reading? Was it as a kid from family, or what did that look like? Yeah, that totally came from my parents. I mean, our house was full of books. Uh, you know, every room had books, bookshelves. My parents read the newspaper every day. So I read the newspaper, you know, as a kid, starting with comics and the sports pages. And uh, I mean, I read a daily newspaper that was delivered to my house until like two years ago. And I still read the news, you know, online almost every day. Uh, so, yeah, I just it was built into the DNA of our house. There we, and I mean, if I finished a book, my mom would take us to the bookstore and get us another book. You know, it was there was always or to the library to get another book. There was always something to read. And my parents read all the time. You know, anytime they sat down, we, we didn't watch a lot of TV together as a family. Um, you know, we, we, I just saw them reading. And so I think it just kind of came naturally. Now I'm going to ask this question because I'm a romantic. Uh, so we're going to go back to when you first met. Well, actually not when you first met your wife, but when you knew that you we're in love with her. Um, if you're comfortable sharing this, was there a moment where you were like, oh my goodness, I'm in love? Um, well, I, I think the first time that I actually met her and talked to her that night, I, I was like, yeah, I think this is probably the woman I'll marry. So Wait, the I night mean, you met? Yeah. The, yeah. The day that I met her. Yeah. So we, I met her at a party and she introduced herself and we just, we were chatting and I mean, I was, I was smitten. And as I left, I thought, huh, this might be the woman that I marry. And yeah, it, I guess I was right. Wow. And I, that doesn't mean that we like one date and I proposed <laughs> or anything like that. Like, yeah, it took a, a few months to get around to, you know, yes, we're in love or yes, we should get married. But um, yeah, it was, I, I kind of knew from that first, I mean, if it wasn't the first time, we met was within two or three dates for sure. Right. Well, and the question is, did she know in that first encounter? And yeah, probably. I probably had her? to do some convincing. I, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing she was less convinced maybe than I was. And because we asked about, you know, your kids and what you, all the qualities you love in each of them, I would also like to hear, you know, what is, what are the, some of the qualities that you admire the most in Michelle? Oh, she's, I mean, there's almost nothing that I don't admire. She is um, very empathetic and cares about everyone around her, our neighbors, our, you know, um, she's funny. She's, you know, fun to talk to, fun to be around. She's been an awesome mom. Uh, you know, she's went back to work a couple of years ago and she's an incredibly dedicated, hardworking employee. You know, she just brings she, she puts herself into almost everything that she does. She just pours herself into it. Um, yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's, you know, easily, easily my better third. 
All right. Well, as we wrap up, I think one of the final questions I'd like to know and ask you is, what are you reading right now? Because I know you're always reading such great books and I'm always snagging your book list. Uh, what are you reading right now? And can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah. So I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before because it was a book that was referred to us by Jerisha Hawk. Uh, it's called The Road Less Stupid. It is easily one of the best business books that I've ever read. And it's it's not your typical business book. It's literally full of hundreds and hundreds of questions uh, to ask yourself about the different areas of a business. It's a little bit more corporate than freelance, but I think the questions, you know, 80% of the questions apply to the business that you and I are building together and certainly, um, you know, to freelance businesses. So uh, it's an amazing book, a resource. It's one that you and I, we've talked about possibly sending it out to all of our think tank members just because I'm... Uh, so enamored by it. And I owe that introduction to this book uh, from Jerisha. So, you know, thanks to her. I recently um, finished reading up uh, Ready, Fire, Aim, which is another book given to us by a mentor. Todd Brown recommended that to us. And again, a great book about starting a business and how to uh, try out ideas in a business in order to find out if they're going to be decent products uh, whether they'll be successful, how to manage the teams around, you know, a, a business that starts and and produces lots of different products. So that one's pretty good. Um, and then something that's completely not business related. Uh, you know, there used to be a publication called Story, which was just uh, I, I won't call it a magazine because it was more like they'd sent a book out. It's about a, a you know 140 page, um, looks like a notebook sized um, thing, about once a quarter. And it's just full of short stories. And I subscribed to that, you know, all through the 90s. So I've got, I don't know, 30 or 40 of these down in my basement. And I recently started picking them up and just thought, I'm just going to read a short story every day. I don't know that it'll improve my writing at all, but, you know, some of them are fun stories. You know, some interesting writers who were just getting started in the 90s who are now, you know, world famous people like, you know, Amy Bloom and, and others. And so I started reading that just you know, as entertainment as well, but most of my time is focused on books more like The Road Less Stupid. And that's a wrap for my questions. I feel like that was not, that wasn't as painful, right, as you thought? No, the real pain is happening in 10 weeks when we sit down, turn <laughs> the tables, and I get to ask you all of the questions was... about, uh, yeah, how long it took you to fall in love with your husband, that kind of stuff. Oh. It'll be really good. <laughs> Oh my gosh. No, I'm, I'm already cringing. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. Um, thank you, Rob, for, you know, going along with this and, uh, going along with many things. And I'm like, Oh, we should do this. Uh, I think this is, I had fun and uh, there are more questions I can ask you, but we'll save that for episode. I don't know, maybe 300. Here's, here's what we can do. Uh, we'll turn the tables on Kira in 10 weeks uh, for episode, what will it be, 270, 280, um, somewhere in there. If you want me to ask Kira about uh, the same questions, romantic questions about her relationship with her husband. One I asked one romantic it, question. Wait, one. If, if you want me to ask a question like that, leave a review on the podcast and let me know. I'm going to check and I'll see. And if, and if I get at least two people who leave a review and say, yes, ask Kira, then we'll, we'll dive into it. If I get nobody, then you're going to be safe, Kira. So we're going to let the audience decide. They, they don't want to know. They, 
We'll see. We'll find <laughs> out. Right. Let them decide. But also remember, I, I sent you the questions ahead of time. You were prepared. I only asked you one romantic question. Um, I, yeah. I think It'll I was fair. very respectful. So just remember to reciprocate that. We will be fair. But yes, if, if you want me to ask those questions, drop, uh, drop a review at iTunes or at Apple Podcasts and let us know that you like the show. Let me know that you want me to ask those questions and we will, we will make it happen. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the show. And if you're ready to invest in yourself and your copywriting business and finally achieve your goals, visit the copywriterthinktank.com. So if you want more ideas, think tank. Took us five years to figure that out. Okay. All right. Thank you. And uh, where can we go to learn more about the Copywriter Club, Rob? Thecopywriterclub.com. Or join us in the free Facebook group, Facebook, The Copywriter Club. Listen to more episodes of this podcast wherever it is that you got this episode in your earbuds. Copywriters coming together to help.